speak with me, hopefully. And I am going to speak on, preach on, teach on. I never know how that's going to look. Um, but book of Philippians, I'm going to speak on press on to take hold. Someone say press on to take hold. And um, I'm excited about this message. James has given me a little red hat. Doesn't it look lovely? And he insisted that it went on right then. And I've learned when I'm going to the pulpit not to argue with James. So give James a hand for thinking of me today. Next week we have a special presentation for James and Robert. So I hope that we'll know if they're not going to be here um, next week. But next Sunday we have something we're going to, Pastor Hank and I are going to give them from the church. Philippians, um, if you're there, and we will go to the, where are we? We will go to the book 3 and verse 12. I'll talk a little bit about what's above that. But uh, press on. Everyone say press on. Press on. Everyone say press on. Press on to take hold. A familiar passage to some of us, I think I've touched on and others have as well, but really felt compelled. Um, I, I would just felt compelled to share some things this morning, knowing who would be here and kind of always knowing who not going to be here. And um, what I mean by that is the Bible says to know your audience. And I just felt like who would be here, this would be a great word this morning on without you. Um, have you ever had one of those bad breakups? If you hadn't, it may come. It may be a child, maybe a boyfriend, a girlfriend, you know, I, it's not you, it's me. Anybody ever heard that? Um, really, it's not you, it's me, it's totally me. That means it's totally you people. Um, when they're saying move on, but uh, everyone has, has in their life a, I, I entitled this press on, but I thought about doing move on. Um, but they have one of those stories. And, you know, as I've grown older, I wish that I had known Taylor Swift in a more intimate way when I had some of those bad breakups. And um, what I'd like to have said, you know, after someone said, I'm just going to move on, I wish I had said, you know what, that's okay. Because someday I'm going to be living in a big old city, but all you're going to ever be is mean. Come on, somebody. And why you have to be so mean. But this is press on. Everyone say press on. Press on. And reading out of Philippians, right before we get to that place that we're going to read from, from Philippians 3 and 12, Paul talks about just about everything you sang about this morning, which I just love that. He talks about counting all things, someone say all things, as rubbish. I would say rubbish. Now, um, in the Greek, that word means the worst thing you can think of. Rubbish. It means I'm counting all things as dung, some translation, and they take it even further when you really study the word out, that I may, may gain Christ. Everyone say Christ. And he goes on to say, having been found in him, not a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through Christ. So he's talking about all of that and how he counts everything as rubbish. He's just basically saying, everything I've gained. He was a zealot. He had studied under Gamaliel. He had been a scholar. He had been religious. But when he really found Christ on the Damascus Road, forgive me, I was in Georgia. Most of the day, I stayed till wee hours of the morning at a wedding, so a little sleepy. So just pray for your brain. Someone say, help her brain, Jesus. Help her brain. That English would come out. And if it don't, then you'd have an interpretation. Amen? Um, look at your neighbor and say, press on. He was a scholar. He had studied. He was religious. He was a zealot. But on that road to Damascus, Jesus, he encountered Jesus. And he said at that point when he found Christ, and every day afterward, everyone say every day. Every day afterward, he reminded himself, Jesus is the center. Jesus is the reason for everything. It's really not about me. From the 
depths of my heart to the heights of the heaven. Everything is to do about Jesus. If you know it's about Jesus, you won't quit when you act ugly. Come on, somebody. You won't quit when your feelings get on your sleeve. Come on, somebody. You won't quit when someone rejects you, but you'll press on to take hold of what Christ took hold of you for. Now, Pastor Todd, if you'll come up here before I read this and just stand right there on the floor, please, sir. Um, I can't adequately do this because I don't want to be, um, you know, wrong about anything. But the scripture says in verse 12, we'll read and then I'll show you. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Now look up for a second. If it, the way Jesus takes hold doesn't look this mean kind of. But if I took hold of Todd and he reached out his left hand and took hold of what he cannot see. If you'll do that, Pastor Todd, at this point. Are you doing that? Oh, go straight so I can see you, please. Everyone give Pastor Todd a hand. Um, and then take hold. Close your hand, Pastor Todd. There you go. Take hold. So you see, that's what Christ, thank you, Pastor Todd. Thank you, such beautiful illustration. That's what Paul is saying, and we'll pray in a moment. I am going to take hold of what Christ saved me for. I'm going to take hold. In this day, I cannot take hold of what I took hold of yesterday. If you're still camping out yesterday, you're a goner. If you're alive and you're not dead, Jesus is not done with you. But what is done is yesterday. You can never go back. Don't build a tent. Don't build a campsite. Don't build a memorial to that. Remember and thank God and remind him for all he's done. But if you're living in yesterday, you are missing a beautiful, glorious present day of 2014. God is alive. He is not dead. He is working. And you're missing what he's doing today if you're still camped out at yesterday. Can you say amen? So he says, brethren, that familiar passage, I do not count myself, verse 13, to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Pastor Hank has preached this so great. And reaching forward. Everyone reach forward with your hand. Come on, reach forward to those things. And then put your hand down, which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Say, I press toward the upward call in Christ Jesus. Now lift one hand to heaven. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your peace and your anointing. We just ask for you to bring forth what needs to be here and what doesn't. Just let go. Lord, I just feel a pastoral message coming on this morning, but let it be what you want it to be, sir. I trust you. In my weakness and tired self, you are strong. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Paul is telling a group at Philippi that they are to press on. And he's saying that he is pressing on. Now, for you to get a true picture of how limited Paul is, he is in prison chained to guards. But yet he is saying, I am pressing on. Someone say, pressing on. What he's saying is, it may look like I'm limited. I'm not preaching this message to you because you're headed to some Chinese prison. That may happen in the future. I don't know what the future is for America. But I'm preaching it to you today that no matter where you are, you can still move on in faith when God says to move. Can you say amen? Even when you feel stuck, don't stop. Everybody feels stuck. Everybody feels stuck. But you know what? 
Even when you feel stuck at your job, if you keep moving, you are not stuck. Winston Churchill said, when you find yourself going through hell, don't stop. A lot of us have said that over and over again. Because often we build a tent. We get a sleeping bag. We have a pity party. We invite others into our pity. And one thing I've learned about my pity party, nobody wants to come. Can I get an amen? It is your party, and you can cry if you want to, but most of the time you're going to cry by yourself. Can I get an amen as someone that remembers that song? But you see, pity doesn't move God, and pity doesn't move people. Now, the Bible says God is compassionate, and one translation says that pity means compassionate, but pity, when we're talking about it, means woe is me. Paul is sitting there in a situation like you and I often find ourselves. We want to take hold of what Christ took hold of me for. Christ took hold of me for something today. He took hold of you when you became a Christian. He had it purposed, written, a blueprint, of all the things that you would do all the days of your life. And those weren't just when you were young and cute. Can I get an amen from someone over 50? Come on. It wasn't just when you were old and 80. Can I get an amen from a young person in the room? It was that he took hold of you for something. He took hold of me for something today. I remember back in the time before Facebook when people used to email you those urban legends. You remember those? You'd get tons of them. It's funny how those just stopped when Facebook came because all the urban legend people just ran to Facebook and praise God they did. But you know, there was the little needles in the McDonald balls. Don't sit on those. There was all these things. There's a, I mean, there was just a lot of things that were not true. But one of the things about self-defense that often makes me laugh when I'm walking on the Greenway, listening to music, thinking about it on a deserted part of the Greenway, is they said, if someone begins to shoot at you, you should always run in a zigzag formation. So in my mind, I kind of practice how to zigzag and do that. And you know, you, you get to thinking about that, but what they say is if they're shooting, it's hard to hit a moving object. So what they're saying is just don't stand there and say, shoot me, but run this way and that, and you'll get delivered. Well, I got news for you. If I just sit in a place and I don't press on for what God has for me today, and I just camp out yesterday or camp out at what I did for him yesterday. I'm picking on me so you don't so picked on. But you know what? If I begin to say, you know what? It may look like zigzag to you people, but at least I'm moving while you're sitting there on your tushy. Can you give God a hand clap of praise for that? Come on, wake yourself up this morning. Paul is saying, press on regardless. Press on because faith precedes a miracle. Faith precedes the miracle, but proof follows the miracle. The proof never comes to after you believe for something. So I'm going to press on to say, Christ, I want to press on today for what you saved me for. What does that look like today? What does that look like? What is my takeaway? That's a big a uh, little trendy word a lot of preachers are using. What is your takeaway? And, and I do that with the Hope House Girls every Tuesday, so I'm picking on me too. But what's our takeaway? But we want a takeaway. And what our takeaway is, Jesus, what does you working in my life look like today? If I think I'm in a dead-end job, I need to look around who's around me because there's a mission field in that. Before you were born, wherever you're working today, I cannot speak about tomorrow, but where you are working today, Christ ordained you to be in that place and that you would be a lighthouse to the people in that area spreading if nothing else love and good cheer and words of hope and wisdom but if we doom our 
myself and say this is a nowhere job. Or what we are to do is to strain, to break a sweat and say, you know what, God? I may feel like I'm stuck. I may feel like I'm in outfield. But I know even in outfield on the football, um, what do you call those places where they play football? That place where they play or on the baseball. You stand still, you're going to get hit. But if you stay active, you're not going to get hit. So today, press on wherever you are. Someone look at your neighbor and say, press on. Press on and awaken a dream. Recently, I just felt compelled to believe for a dream. I don't even know if I was compelled by God, but I just, I'm just going to be honest with you. I just felt like my family that lives in my house, I have my, my children sitting over here, but my daughter and my husband that live in the house with me, I just felt like we needed a little something, something. We needed something to hold on to. I mean, we have great things in Jesus and the church. I mean, just as a family, we're not taking any trips in many, many, many years to really speak of. And I just thought, well, Pastor 60th is coming up. If he has not told you that, it is October 28th. But I plan to do a little party a few weeks before. But I thought, you know, Lord, I would love to put a dream board together. That, I won't get into that subject. Of believing for my family to go back to California. I, that's where I think I'd like to go. I want to visit the house where we were restored. I want to go visit friends. I want to go back to my high school. And, and different things like that. And just see people. Lord, I would just love that. But So I put it before the Lord. I prayed about it. And then one night I just said to pastor, you know, your 60th is coming up soon. And uh, if you could go anywhere in the world, and he looked at me like, like, you're crazy. We can't go anywhere in the world. And when I thought, you ever dreamed something and the time you're dreaming it, every impossibility is speaking to you. Am I the only person? Because first of all, I was thinking it's not probable. Even if the money should drop from heaven, I sh you know, there's other things that it needs to be used on. And, uh, but I really felt a peace about believing God for this. And just, I needed to grab a hold of something. You know, I'm grabbing in Christ and ministry all the time, but just for my family. And I said, where would you want to go? He goes, well, hands down, California. I said, excellent. Well, I'm believing God. You know, so I stand there. Pastor has to get used to my sermons. So I'm standing there preaching. I'm believing God that he is going to send our family to California. I'm going to make a dream board. Your pastor's just smiling at me like, wow, she is so crazy. But it just go on and on. He just kind of smiles. He said, well, that would be great. So I said, well, I'm believing God for it. I'm believing. I'm going to go ahead and set the dates out for where it's going to go. So long story made short. Last Sunday night, someone say last Sunday night. Pastor's already in bed, and I feel an inclination. I, I even looked at the flights. You know, you got to act on your dreams. I began to search the flights out. There were $322 on Delta. Yeah, hello, people from Atlanta, because it's way ahead. And I had a little frequent flyer miles, so I thought, really, all I have to believe for is uh, maybe not even half of that. And uh, I need three tickets. And so I was believing for that. It's still huge beyond my means, beyond my reason. It really is it, it, at this point. And that, that's, that's okay. That's, I'm just being honest with you. A lot of you are there too. That's okay. And, um, and so I, you know, had looked at the flights. I even told pastor, I looked at the dates and, and I thought about, it. I thought, Oh Lord, here it is. Jesus, $322 God It's way beyond that could be a million to me right now, but Lord, I'm believing I, and I, Lord, I'm willing. Now let me tell you right now. I said, I'm willing to do anything. If I need to get a side job, wager sin, be careful what you tell God. Come on people. Um, if, is there anything I have, I could sell, you know, I began to think through side jobs and we're looking at a thing that Marcus is getting us into that helps churches. I won't say the name of it right now. But it's huge. It's huge what it's bringing in for people. And it's feeding the hungry overseas. So I thought, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm signing up for that. I'm going to get involved in that. But anyway, I just declined. I kept feeling like I needed to look for this paper in a big stack of mail in a basket. I've been decluttering, but there was this basket. 
And so I go in there, pastor's asleep, and I get going through this basket, and I'm, I'm going through, and I've gone through the whole mail, and then I see this one envelope that looked like a bill. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it just looked like a bill, or like, I don't know, some weird notice that John Bacotti in Salahiti is selling a car. You know, you get those, just craziness. And I thought, I'm not going to open it, and I put it back in. Something said, look back at that again. I mean, wisdom, whatever. I was tired. It was 1230. I pull it out again, and I thought, oh, that looks odd. I opened it up. It was a check made out to pastor, a refund that we did not know was coming, was beyond a miracle. It covered the amount. So what did I do? What any great wife would do. I woke that man up. I got him out of bed. I said, you're not going to believe this. He goes, what? You know, I said, you're not going to believe this. Hallelujah. Well, you have to know me. I'm dramatic at a football game. I'm dramatic in church. I'm dramatic at home, people. I never change. It's okay, all right? And so I'm doing a praise Jesus running down the hall. I run in and tell Christine and we're just rejoicing and he's just like that is only God only God so he goes to sleep so the next day he said did you book the tickets I said no I'm good he goes Rhonda you better book the tickets Rhonda so Tuesday morning I sat down and I made myself book those tickets guess who's going now I've got to believe now for hotels that's not going to be a problem I got to believe for money to eat on I got to believe for a car all that that's going to come together but you just do it I press on and believe now why am I telling you this because we're going to California for pastor's 60th birthday to revisit our roots and our origins and miracles because that is a dream. Why? Because I just chose to say, God, I want to believe you. I'm good about believing you, Jehovah, for victory and attack. I am. Boy, I'm your, I am your gap man. Everyone calls me to pray for them. That's fine. And I'm good about pressing on the hordes of hell. But sometimes I just want to pray for something good. Come on, people. I want to do offensive and press on and believe God. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise. For what God did for one, he will do for another. So I want to say right now, this was our first point we missed. If you bring that escalator up, stand still. Sometimes you have to stand still before you move on. And that's what we're doing this morning. You have to stand still. If you've ever been on an escalator, you've got to stand still for a moment. One time my sister didn't, and we were just educating my daughter Courtney at the mall. I mean, Christine, what horrible thing happened on an escalator and an elevator when she went psycho at uh, Peachtown, uh, Georgia, or Peachtree, whatever that is, because there's an elevator. It was the first elevator she ever went in that looked like we were going through the roof, and she looked like a scene off of Sybil. If you've never seen Sybil, you don't know what I'm talking about. And my daddy did something he has never done the rest of his life, but he took drastic measures to get that girl to come to her attention because you have to stand still. Someone say, stand still. Stand still. Everyone say, stand still. Stand still and remember, I got to press on and lay hold of what Christ saved me for. You are not dead. You are here. God is not done with you yet. So stand still first before you move and say, you know what? Fear never had the faith to press on. Fear keeps you paralyzed. But faith, it says Hebrews eleven six, a very familiar passage. Without faith, it is what? impossible to please God. Number two, press on and remember this is a climb. Someone say this is a climb. I want to show you a picture of the citadel from Haiti. And Pastor and I used to do mission work in Haiti and we were evangelists and uh, we flew with uh, Jimmy Swaggart at that time pilots before Courtney was born so it tells you how long ago probably was 29 30 years ago and uh, so they were going to take us to the citadel and they fly you in and then you go up these curvy roads um, I believe it's on the mountain of um, 
Oh, my goodness. The mountain of, I had it here, Bonnet Leveillon. I'm sure that's wrong, but hello, people. And uh, you climb this long steep. Everyone say climb. When you press on, it is a climb. Don't let anyone lie to you that it's an easy lay down, smoke a cigar, and eat a bonbon. It is not. Look at your neighbor and say, it is not. It is a climb. No one is going to do it for you. No one is going to make that. No one is going to climb for Rhonda Davis and press on and grab hold of what Christ wants to do through me today. No one can get me off my tush in moments like that. But me, this is a climb. And we, we were climbing this. Um, Pastor Hank and I, young evangelist, I never forget. I have pictures of what I had on. It was hideous. I didn't have any makeup on because the missionaries over there didn't believe in makeup or jewelry. So just imagine the worst and then go there. And a big straw hat and a little green sundress because you also couldn't wear pants. Oh, my Jesus. And little flip-flops. And so we were going up, and there's Haitian boys that walk up with you. And the way they make their money is the whole way up, they go, Madame, Mademoiselle, bonjour, bonjour, Mademoiselle, water, water. Mademoiselle, I hold a, I hold a paper over your head so you're not hot, Mademoiselle. And they do this so you would give them a dollar. They're, they're, that's the way they earn their living. And so they're all the way up the mountain with you. Um, I believe it's uh, 3,000 feet high, 108,000 square feet when you get up there. But you go up these long, winding roads. But what happened is Pastor Hank begins to have a conversation with me about when I used to walk with my daddy out. They lived out in Belfont. There was these long hills. And when we'd walk, daddy would always put his hand on the middle of my back and mom's just to make it easier easier. Well, Pastor Hank said, I'll put my hand on your back. That's all it wrote. The 26 people that were traveling with us up to the citadel, every little Haitian put their hands on the back. I hold your back for you, mademoiselle. Oh, bonjour. I hold your back for you. You give me dollar, I hold your back. But you know what? The beautiful thing of it, it is a climb, but guess what? The citadel is the largest fortress in the Americas. It's a great place to see an incredible fortress that was built to keep the French away from the Haitians when they became their country. It was never attacked, so it never had to be used. But I've got news for you. The climb in the citadel of Jesus, the name of the Lord, is a strong tower. And every time you and I run into that name, we are safe. Can you say amen? We are kept safe in him. That is our fortress. And the truth of the matter is, there is a hand behind you. Because number three, and I'll tie this in, sometimes to press on, you got to talk yourself off the ledge. Look at your neighbor and say, talk yourself off the ledge. You know, we've all seen movies where they'd call in someone to talk someone off the ledge, which means they were going to take their life. They were going to quit. What they were saying is, I'm done. I'm done. Who hasn't said that? I'm done. I'm done with this job. I'm done. Sometimes we take ourselves so seriously even what we do in the kingdom we take ourselves way too seriously and we have to talk our own selves off the ledge forgetting that there is a hand behind us and that hand is the hand of the lord god when we feel all alone there is always someone we get that in the moment with us and it is the lord it is always the lord and the more we learn to tap into him the more the stronger we become there aren't people that are just born strong yeah some of us came from good positive dna to a degree but we all got some messy sloppy dna you know you did but here's the truth the god who's in us is with us there's moments we have to but we take ourselves so seriously look at your neighbor and say don't take yourself so seriously when we first started the church, we weren't even a church. We were meeting. I think Perk was with us in those days. We were meeting over in a room at Lee University. And one night, Pastor got up. I shared this with the Hope House girls recently, and, and, and they just loved it. I'm not going to go to the length I did with them because I need to keep it brief. 
But pastor was preaching that night to a room packed of people. We weren't a church. Everybody wanted to hear Hank Davis, so everyone was there. And he preached, and in the middle of it, he talked about women who cuss as they're giving birth. Women who cuss as they're giving birth. Well, I'm sitting on the front row. I'm young. I mean, we just realized. In fact, Valerie Henry just reminded me I was Courtney's age when we first started this church. I just wanted to go crawl in a hole. No wonder I did so many stupid things. Courtney's not stupid. I mean, but this is my child who's 28, I think. Isn't she 28? I mean, she's just a young baby to me. I was that age when we started this church. No wonder people were freaked out by me. Look at your neighbor and say, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. But I'm sitting on that first row. And he's, Jackie... And all I can think in my young, immature, it's all about me. How do I look? How do I feel? And I still battle with that. Anybody else? I went to a wedding last night. Yeah, I got eyelashes put on. Leanne did my hair. I put on my strappiest sandals and went forth with my glittery shawl. Come on, people. But I just want to say this to you. We do make it about us. And I'm sitting there, and all I can think is everyone in this room is convinced that I cussed during delivery. They think he's using this analogy because I said the F word during pregnancy and I said other words and that's what everyone's thinking and and the matter I got I begin to vex him with my eyes oh if you hadn't been around a woman who can vex you you just don't know and I begin to vex him with my eyes I begin to throw darts that if he had been any sensible man he would have laid down on the floor and died in the bloody mess I was giving him come on somebody you know you've done it I was so mad I was so furious and what I could not understand was that the Spirit of God was still moving upon that man while he spoke. It was beyond my means. How could he even make everyone I'm sitting here wanting to die? I'm past dying. I'm going to murder him as soon as this message is over. I'm going to take out a billboard. I mean, my mind. Oh, you've never been there? That your mind went to a crazy place because you took yourself too seriously. Come on. You went to a football game and when they huddled, you were convinced they were talking about you. I'm going to tell you, you the last thing on their mind. You was the last thing on their mind. <laughs> I know. And so, you know, I'm just, I'm so mad. I mean, I had worked myself up to a rage. Honey, everybody was kung fu fighting. I knew what I was going to do. And so when it was over, I mean, I wouldn't even speak to him. I didn't speak to him for two days, people. I mean, and pastor cannot stand that. And toward the second day, he goes, you know, I give up. I give up. Who do we call here? The Pope? The President? Your parents? My parents? They're with an earring. Who do I call? Who do we get in here to help us? Because I don't know. You've, my Lord God, we had a great service. This is, and this is what we always do as preachers. This is a fight against my anointing. That's what it is. It's a fight against my anointing. And I said, no, it's not a fight against your anointing. How dare you? <laughs> Say that. Make everyone in the room think I cussed while giving birth. I didn't cuss. My head did spin around like the exorcist, but I did not cuss. And how dare you? I mean, he was flabbergasted. He said, at what point did I mention your name? At what point did I say it was you? And I said, you never said it was me. Then why? Because I'm your wife. What other delivery, delivery rooms have you been in? I mean, who else have you watched give birth? I mean, that was before that movie, eight, nine months. You know, if you've never seen that, just watch the last three minutes. It's awesome. But anyway, where they all go nuts and they are cussing each other. But but at any rate, it's hilarious. Just watch the, just go and watch the trailer. Don't watch the whole thing. But at any rate, you know, in that moment, I realized I sat there in a service. And how many times have we sat in a service or a conversation and think they're talking about me and they're not talking about me? Because I learned a long time ago, Facebook should be the same way as sermons. I'm never going to just write a sermon. I, I love Debbie Kidd. She's been with me forever. I love her. I consider her Timothy. 
but I'm never going to write a sermon just for Debbie because I could just talk to Debbie and I could tell Debbie what I need to help her with. You know what I'm saying? But if I came in here and preached a whole sermon to Debbie or a whole sermon to David Lair, David Lair would be the only person who didn't get it. And everybody else in the room would be sure that they are the ones. Oh, yeah, I used to do that. I'd gather all the praise and worship, like 40 of them, into my house and give a speech on being late and give a speech on being inconsistent and give a speech on all this. And the one person that the speech was for was inconsistent and did not come to the meeting. Can I get an amen? And it was a waste of precious time. I'm telling you, that's indirect communication. The best thing is just say it to the person you need to say it to. Talk your own self off the ledge. If You know, Paul said, no one stands with me like Timothy. You know, he had many, he had many disciples, but he said, there's only one. You know, we look for multitude. People don't look for multitude. If you've got one friend, you're way ahead of the game. If you've got one person you can talk to, you're way ahead of the game. I remember another instance that I shared with our, our class recently when I led worship. And, um, and we were leading, I was leading worship. When it was done, pastor was the first worship leader. And so when I was done with the service in those days, because he was the first, and he just, you know, he's just charismatic. And he'd take that mic. Those people be looking at me like me like toads on frogs, snails on slugs, people with no life, people have been dead for a year, you know, and then other ones were vexing me with their eyes. You know, I was reaping what I'd sowed. Come on, people. But anyway, they were just doing all this, and then pastor would take the mic. Ah! I exalt thee. And angels begin to fly. People begin to worship. People begin to praise God. I mean, people that look like they were dead and been dead for eight days would arise and resurrect and give God the glory. What did I see on the stage? Listen to me. And can I be a pastor today? Can I help you? I hope you say amen because I'm going to continue. Say amen. Say amen. What I learned is I'm standing back there. All I can see is it's about me. It's all about me. They're responding to him. And I left this one Sunday morning that was all gravel out there. And I went out like an anointed woman of great faith and power for this hour. Jesus, help us all. Give us a shower because we need a bath. But anyway, I went out in the gravel. People, I kneeled between two cars. And I said, so help me, Jehovah. I'll never step foot on that stage again. Those people, they aren't deserving of the gift that I have. I mean, really, I don't know what all I said. You don't realize what you say in a moment of pity and anger till it's done. Come on, somebody. Until the light brings on your head and you think, oh, my heavenly father. And so I told Pat, you know, I sat out there in the gravel. I said, oh, I hope their cars burn up. I mean, it's just so stupid. 29 people, 30. So have a break, okay? But, here, but what it is is at that point, it was all about me. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not all about you. It is not. But you know, I just, I took it as rejection of this gift. And you know what? That's why I entreat worship the way I do. That's why I always, this morning I missed two songs. I was in there singing with Joshua. I was trying to get my shoes on and get my notes. And because I treasure it, because I know these people are under attack. They are. Because you put yourself in the middle of the environment of the spiritual world. And so out there in the gravel, I said things I shouldn't have said. I was mad. I came back in. I don't know how I made my entrance back in. That would have been such a beautiful video with my, who knows what I was doing with my hair and my clothes. But anyway, came in and sat down, probably tried to act like nothing was wrong. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. When I go home, I'm going to tell everyone what I really think. Oh, praise you, God. Bless you, sister. You know, so when I got home, I did tell Pastor. I said, hell will freeze over first before I ever step on that stage. He looked at me. You just have to know, Pastor. He is, he's, he's just fabulous. The encourager of encouragers, the butt kicker of all butt kickers. 
And he just looks at me and goes, hmm, okay. And, and why is that? Well, I didn't want to say, because when you stepped, I mean, how ugly would that sound? When you stepped up, they all went crazy. I mean, how ugly does that sound? It's so horrible. But you've been there too. Look at your neighbor and say, yes, you have, at one point or another in your life. But I just said, I just don't feel like the people are receiving, you know, always pull forth from your deep spiritual context, that people are receiving the gifts and the glory that is upon my life in this day. And so for this day and for his cause, you know, I don't know, Pastor, he just, he don't, he don't, you know, Pastor just rather you say BS and go on with it. You know what I mean? He don't want you to dress it up in spiritual jargon. So he said, oh, okay, go, well, we'll just, we'll pray about that. We'll, well, I got a call that night from John Price, who Pastor visited yesterday, who was kind of the father of worship in this house. And he does not take any prisoners, I guess you could say, when he's rebuking you. And he kicked my butt for 30 minutes. No, I mean, verbally, he went after me so harsh. Kind of reminds me of the way my mom went after me when I was 13 in a car on a rainy night on Oakland Drive. I'll never forget it. the things she told me that if I didn't change about my personality. You know, it felt so hot as hell inside, but I knew whom God loves, he disciplines. Who he chastises, he calls sons and daughters. And to be chastised by God is a beautiful thing. It means he's not giving up on you. And uh, Pastor John just let me have it. At the end, he goes, you know what? This is not about you. It is about Christ. It is about Jesus. That's why we consider all things. Press on for that upward calling of Christ. It's all about Christ. He's the center. You're leading people to Jesus, not to yourself. Where in the world did you get the idea? He didn't even call me sister or pastor. Rhonda, that you or who you were leading people to. It's not about you. I don't care if you get mad, Rhonda. I don't care if you get in a fight. Oh, yeah, Pastor and I used to get in fights. We were evangelists, say Chinese words to each other, and then have to go into the lobby and each other before we went back out because we learned. I don't care how I'm feeling, what I'm going through, I'm not going to cancel my ministry for the day. I don't care how mean you are, and I think I pretty well lived this. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Give me grace to continue. But listen, I learned, and he kicked my butt, but he said, you're dealing with rejection because you think the people are rejecting you. You are nothing, Rhonda Davis, but a vessel for the glory of God to flow through. And the more you grow, the more you learn, the more you'll realize. You know, now I've stood on stages small and vast into 10,000. I've stood on TV. I've stood in one room. And you know, it's amazing. It's amazing. Those things don't hit me anymore like that. And when they do, I just laugh them off because you know what? Talk yourself off the ledge. The great Handel's Messiah says the kingdoms of our world shall become the kingdoms of Christ. They shall not become your kingdom or my kingdom. So talk yourself off the ledge when you want to quit laying hold of what Jesus laid hold of you and doing his work. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Josh, if you'll come help me, I've got a couple more places to go by, but it'll go easier. And that is to hold on, to press on, say press on and hold on. You're going to take hold of what Christ took hold of you for, but you've got to hold on to the promises over you. Hold on to them. This picture of my niece they're going to bring up, my beautiful blonde niece by marriage, Allie, has been holding on to the Word of God. She reminds me, Eliezer, in 2 Samuel 23 and 10, it says when the Israelites had retreated, when the Philistines were attacking, it says that Eliezer held on to his sword, we've preached this many times, and his hand clung to the sword fighting fighting for the kingdom of God for David when they went to pull the sword out of his hand they couldn't unclench his hand I mean you just get that he'd been such a long battle and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking fierce eyes like this I'm thinking sweat he was holding on and it says 
that he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was free. And the Lord, everyone say the Lord. Everyone say the Lord brought great victory. He clung to the promise and the Lord brought the victory. And then it says all the people that deserted came to plunder. Don't you be upset when God gives you a word and you're holding on to it. I've had people to get upset because they thought the situation in my life were going to go different. They got mad because they prophesied. They prophesied. They sure did. But I held on to what God said. And when they wanted to discuss it with me, I just said, oh, you know, you just don't talk to certain people about certain things. But you hold on to it. I've had them to get mad and tweet about it. How would I know? I don't even follow them. People bring me the tweets because they're so mad about it. They want me to be mad. I just say, Jesus, take care of it. Jesus. You see, spin doctors on the news like to spin things. People want to spin things about your life, how things are going to happen. But if you hold on to God's promise for you, and you cleave to it. The Bible says that the Word is our sword of the Spirit. When we hold on to His promises over our family, our lives, and we cling to it, to, you can't even unclench it. Not physically like this, but in our heart and what we say over our children, our spouses. No matter what the circumstances, the Bible says the Word of faith is not that it's even in your mouth if you'll just speak it. My sweet Allie, if you bring that picture back up, my sweet Allie, Came down with breast cancer several years ago. I've taught about her and on Wednesday nights especially. Some of that, my best teaching I feel like is Wednesday night. But on um, what she stood in the declaration she stood. She made it through. She's cancer free, newlywed. And uh, had total mastectomy and then radical um, rebuilt. And then went through, just went through more than you can imagine. But her declarations daily as she lost all of her hair. Where the Lord God is with me. She had people speaking what she was speaking. I mean, she's young. She's Courtney's age. And just a woman of faith like Courtney's that just kept speaking the things of God and the declarations of God. And she walked through it with other people speaking it with her. But she's the one. Everyone say, she's the one. Everyone say, she's the one. She's the one that wrote out the declarations. Don't wait for someone to write out declarations for you. Write them out yourself. Just open up the Word and write it out yourself over your own family. She did it. Well, then... She desperately wants to have a baby, but they said, your ovaries are fried. It's a done deal. There will be no children. This time of chemo, no children. There'll be no chemo and radiation has burnt your body up. But she said, I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded he's able. I believe God is going to give Josh and I a baby. She just recently finished her PhD that she did while going through radiation and chemo. You know what I say to you and me? If someone had your hand, would they win with it? Someone said that to me. Someone somewhere would have the same hand you've been dealt and they would be winning right now. It's just perspective and holding on to God. Winning means sometimes surviving and having a victory. And she kept believing. She went for IVF fertility and they've been giving her shots and the doctor just said, and so she did declarations. Her declarations could be a thesis. I mean, I mean, every day she writes them out and what you are to pray with her. And I, I'm on that list of about 10 prayer warriors, 10 like people or eight. I don't even know how many it is. And so she was giving us the report and then speaking what God said and then giving us a spiritual example of someone in the Word who God did this thing for that was at the bottom. You see how that decoration goes? What I believe, what the Word says, someone God did it for. And I mean, this took time. She got up early to type this. So we got the declaration that she was going back, but the IVF fertility doctor just said it did not look good. There was not many follicles on the ovaries and it did not look good at all. And there was crying, and she said, but I'm believing God. We're going back in three days. I'm believing God. They've not sent one good thing over me, but I'm asking you to believe. Well, on Friday morning, um, she had her visit in Jackson. She and Josh that's in that picture. 
And when they went in, the fertility doctor said, wow, said follicles have grown, gave a lot of scientific, this has grown, this has grown, but said, I'm going to tell you something. The lining of your uterus looks like a woman that's fixing to have a baby. I want to tell you something. She's rejoicing because that man has never spoken anything positive over her. Come on, somebody give God the glory. You got to hold on to your promise. John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He is the Word. Hold on to Him. Make your grip tighter on Him. Make it about you. Him more than you. Jesus in my weakness. In my weakness, Jackie. Jesus wouldn't let go of me. In your weakness, Jesus wouldn't let go of you. Keep serving. Keep dreaming. Keep living. Keep giving. Keep being faithful. Now it looks like somebody is going to have a baby. And the last point to my closing illustration at Tintil. Get a clear perspective. Press on. Everyone say, press on and get a clear perspective. Get a clear perspective. Bring Miriam's picture up. There's a funny story my best friend Melissa and I have with each other. We just say, and there was a woman. And it's a comeback from a funny story from 2008 when Pastor had been incredibly sick onward and onward and onward. Couldn't get in. They said his colon was, was just going through so much. And I was at, we'll just keep that picture up there. I was at my daddy's and feeling very low after Sunday and went by to get a meal. And my daddy's standing there cooking. He said, well, you know, there's a woman. And he began to tell the most horrid story of a woman with three children completely ill, husband ill, on in unemployment. He said, so you better keep your perspective clear. When I told Missy, she kind of bucked up and said, oh, we love our daddies, but that's not what you need to hear. But you know what? Sometimes that is what you need to hear. Sometimes you do need to clear your perspective. Today, as you're pressing on to grab hold, remember Miriam, who's holding the baby. Most of you have followed her story on the news. Miriam is from, was in the Sudan. She was a Christian. And her husband carried dual citizenship in the Sudan in America. And she would not deny Christ. And so she was put to die, pregnant. She was going to die. They were going to execute her. And it was her Muslim family that wanted to execute her. There's been a fight going on. The um, American Center for Law and Justice, Jay Sekulow, has been fighting like crazy, asking Obama to fight. People were angry. President Obama, forgive me, because he was not fighting. And, every, and people weren't doing what they're supposed to do. And they just kept pressing and pressing. She had to give birth to that baby in her arms, chained to a floor. She gave birth to that baby. Clear my perspective today, Jesus. I'm going home to a house where I'm free. I'm coming to worship at a church where people would die to stand in this kind of worship. Clear my perspective, Jesus. She finally got out of prison by pressure, but then the Sudan country arrested her again. They finally got into the American embassy, but they couldn't get her out of the country. Finally, Italy, that is the assistant minister of foreign affairs with the white hair holding her other baby, her other son, he was able to negotiate, and that's her stepping foot to Italy, getting ready to come to America. Clear your perspective. First, give God a hand clap for this victory right here. Because there are thousands of her right now dying today, running. As you've been following the news, the persecution is intense. Intense in Iraq. They're emptying out cities. Clear your perspective today, Rhonda Davis. Clear your perspective, guys. Whatever you're facing. Clear your perspective. In Isaiah 43 and 1, you can clear your perspective because God says, But now says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. You can clear your perspective by knowing that God created Jacob and that was his present, but God formed Israel, who Jacob became. God is forming you and I and the things that form us we don't like. 
Created is your present, formed is your potential. But nevertheless, things form us, our trials, our hardships, the things that we, are, that we go through. But the scripture that we read later in Philippians 3, it says, we are citizens of heaven and Jesus is forming us because his ability to subdue all things. Someone say all things by his great power. What God is saying, he's forming us. Yesterday, last night, I just had a moment where I just realized I did not like something about myself. And I felt the Holy Spirit was with me on it. You ever been there? I felt like he was indeed with me on what he did not like too. And I all just come overwhelmed driving by myself last night in that car. I just, oh, I don't like that about my, I don't like that about my personality. Holy Spirit, I really don't like that. And I got kind of woe. And then I thought, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I thank you that you can show me and change me. I thank you that you, that the fact that I know it and that you can form me and change me. No man can change me. Oh, you can use man to help me along the process. But I love what he says after that I'm the one that forms you in the fire. We don't like things formed in caves. We don't like things formed in fires. We don't like things formed in hardship. But it's usually those things that make who we are. In Jeremiah 18, a passage I've preached a lot on where God says to Jeremiah, Arise and go to the potter's house. And there I'll cause you to hear my voice. Go to where things are formed. Remember today, brothers and sisters, as you press on to just lay hold of who Christ wants you to be today. Who does he want you to reach? Remember and go to the places where people were formed. Think of the testimonies of people that were formed. Because he says there was a, a clay in the hand of the potter and it was marred. But he made it into another vessel. But he said, so are you in my hand Last night after I felt, woe is me. I don't know about you, but when I realized something horrible about myself, and I thought it was horrible, just a personality weakness, I just all of a sudden, there's this temptation to think, I don't, I, I don't belong. I, I'm, I'm not with you, God. And I'm a mature believer, and I, I admit that, but I want you to know that I have those moments too. And I put on my favorite covenant worship song. Oh, Josh, I got to get you a copy of that CD. And where this just, Josh Dufresne and Nicole Benny just go into this chorus, Jehovah, you are my God. Jehovah, you are my God. And I began to just sing that. The car filled with the sweet presence of God. You know, in those moments when you clear your perspective and you don't like the things you are and where you're not yet and feeling like you're not in the game where you should be in the game, remind yourself, as the clay is in the hand of the Lord or in the potter, so are you in the hand of the potter. Can you give him a hand clap of praise for that before I finish? I love Pastor Todd that he finishes Isaiah 43 with, for I'm the Lord your God. You're precious in my sight. Some of you just need to speak that over you. I'm precious in the sight of God. I'm precious. Sounds so elementary like something we would tell. I would tell little Bailey, Bailey, you're precious to God. I do tell her that. I want you, you're precious to God. You're so precious to God. The other day we're at Cleveland Utilities paying the church's bill and we put up a beautiful woman crossed and I just love to comment when I see people looking beautiful and I said, Bailey, look, baby, doesn't she look beautiful? She said, oh, Mima, she is precious. She is precious. You know, they pick up on things and you need to pick up on that in yourself of saying that you are precious to God for your citizenship is in heaven. That's where you're going. So clear your perspective. I want to say this, a minister friend in closing illustration recently um, shared an exam example he had at U.S. Air. And it just was so applicable. I so could relate. But he flies from uh, Raleigh to Lynchburg every week to speak at Liberty University, a very large university started by Jerry Falwell. And listen to me by the Spirit, because I believe he's going to speak to all of us. And uh, it was February, and the call came from U.S. Air that you always dread. 
Come on to the airport. Your flight's been canceled, but we're going to try to get you another one, which basically means come on to the airport. We're going to lie to you all day. Can I get an amen? Come on to the airport. So uh, he went on. Uh, he was at E5. Is where his flight was supposed to leave from. He sat there for three hours, and he's thinking, I need a plan B. I need a plan B. He called him at Liberty and said, it doesn't look like I'm going to make it. Um, we're delayed. We're delayed. We're delayed. And then they said, load on the plane. So they loaded everybody on the plane. They got it. They got ready to pull away. And all of a sudden, they heard a popping noise. And the pilot said, um, passengers, that popping sound you just heard was not a good sound. Duh. You know. So uh, we're going to have to all deboard. So everyone deboarded. And, you know, at that moment, if you've never been there, everyone's acting like you just cussed their mama to their face. I mean, they're just mad. Oh, sticking it to the man. U.S. I mean, people just, you just, just really begin to see in those moments people speaking their frustration. And he sits down. He's like, oh, Jesus, take the wheel, take the plane, do whatever. You know, we're not moving. We're at E5. And he calls again and says, looks like I'm not going to make it. And because they just said, it's going to be a delay. We're going to be here a long time. And he was not going to make it to take hold of what Christ took hold of him. Listen, he was going there to speak that night to a large group of people. That's what God took hold of him for that day. What has Christ taken hold of you today for? And all of a sudden, as he's sitting there, he hears this distant voice saying, ladies and gentlemen, um, final call for flight 3456 for Lynchburg, Virginia is now finally leaving from E4. He's like, what? What? No one's even mentioned another plane. He looked around. No one was moving. He said, in Jesus' name, I'll never be the same. The devil's going to get the blame. Come on, somebody. So he walked across to E4, and he walked up to the lady. She was doing it. If you've ever been there, they're not even looking at you. He said, hello, ma'am. Um, can I get on that flight? She said, do you have a ticket for that flight? He said, uh, no, ma'am, but I have a ticket for that flight that's at E5. And she said, oh, the flight's been stuck here all day. He said, yes, ma'am, that'd be the flight. So she never looked at him. She said, no, can't do that. Door's, door's closing right now. And he said he realized that, and you men will understand this, but women, you just don't force it. Can I get an amen from a man? You just encourage a woman. Come on, somebody. You know, he said, I know you're in a tough spot, but a woman like you with your beauty and your education and your authority, if she wanted to, she could stop that door right there before it closes. About that time, she looked up. She goes, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm a pastor. She said, I bet you're a good one. He, she said, give me your ticket. She said, I have six seats. He said, I only need one seat. Said, well, give me your ticket. So he got him a seat. Then he said, he's getting on E4, being evangelist. He knew there was five seats. He looks back at everybody, cussing the man and mad, mad at Obama, mad at Bush, mad at Reagan, mad at everybody, mad at their granny, mad at their boss. Come on, somebody. They're still fussing and cussing over E5. And he yells out, hey, there's five more seats over here to Lynchburg. Run now. There's five. And everybody just looked at him like they're crazy because they're too mad. Well, finally, two or three came. They watch him get on the plane. They leave Raleigh. They land at Lynchburg in time for him to do it. But when he gets off, and this sounds some, something so totally I would have to do, he just has to stop and ask someone, whatever happened to the flight at E5 at um, Raleigh? And said, oh, E5, they're still stuck at the gate. But he said, this is the one question that the lady asked me, and you that fly a lot know where this is going before she let me get on that plane. Do you have any bags, any baggage? He said, yes, I have one, but I've got it with me. She said, okay, because if you didn't have your bag with you, I could not put you on this plane. But since you've got your bag, bring your bag and come on. I want to say this to each one of us. A lot of times we get stuck at E5 
when God says, just bring your bag, what you think keeps you from laying hold, that baggage, that irritation, that frustration. We're maybe angry at Daddy. Maybe we're angry at Obama. Maybe we're angry at Aunt Betty. We're still angry at the person that ripped us off. We're still angry that we thought something was going to go one way and it didn't. And how could I be wrong? You are going to be wrong sometime about some things. We're still stuck at E5 because we don't believe it's true that Jesus says, come on, all of you that are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come on, because I'm departing out of E4. I'm going to pick you up and get you, come on, somebody, to where you need to be. So pick up your baggage. Come on. You're not dead. God's not done with you yet. Give God one more praise in this house. Come on, give him one more praise. Stand all over this building. I'm going to pray over you right where you stand. Right where you stand. Listen, remember today, don't get stuck at E5. Keep clear your potential. Don't take yourself so seriously. Jesus saved you, Jackie, Wendy, Mish, Austin, David, Angel. He saved everyone in this room that you would take hold of something right now, Linda. That you would take hold of what he took hold of you for. But if we just, these simple points that I gave you as a pastor today, which just seemed like the right thing for today, experiences and wisdom, God knows I've made some big mistakes. Linger on the lesson of your mistake, but move on. Fail fast and move on. Linger on the lesson. Oh, I don't want to ever forget the lessons. I don't want you to talk about my past, but me and Jesus talk about the lessons I learned from my failures. But move on and avoid the same traps. Don't back out and cancel your ministry because of the way you feel or the way you're doing. If you see people doing things for Jesus and you think they are always kind and never angry, listen, washcloths on my face before we had a dasa in my house. Horrible things I would have to go through with other staff and people just things that matter and then go right in to teach hungry students. If I'd said in that moment, I'm mad. No one likes me. You know, I mean, I've thought that way. Or he's talking about me like I did with Pastor. You know, or she's talking about me. No one waved at me at church today. Who cares? Do it for yourself. If no one welcomes you, if no one embraces you, how do I go places by myself? I learned when I was young just to go and just to do. No one knows if you're not going home to a million people or one or nothing. But take hold and remember those people in Scripture as you're holding on to your promise that took hold. Isaac pressed on to take hold and at 87 years old, he wrestled with God. Caleb took hold at the age of 90. He pressed and took hold of what Christ, you're never too old, you're never done. If you're breathing, God's not done. Eliezer, when no one stood with him, no, everyone's not gonna clap and stand with you on what you believe. Don't even talk to them about it. Get along with God about your word. You know what God's gonna do. You stay with what God's going to do. Shama, Mary, the mother of Christ. Dorcas was resurrected from the dead. Lydia, because they pressed. They did that climb, knowing it is a climb. This is not a lay down and smoke a cigar. If you're looking and if I'm looking for it to be easy, it is not going to be easy. But God's hand is on you while you're climbing that citadel, if it were. And speak those declarations. Pastor Todd, don't wait for me to write out declarations for you. I haven't waited for anybody to write out. I bought some books that had them in. I'll tell you three if you want to know them later that have many declarations in them that you can photocopy and then speak it straight from the Word over your own life like Ali is. He's walked through the fire and now is going to believe in God for a child, the impossible. Your impossible may look like some of these people, but 
take hold of what Christ took on of you. Let's lift hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this word. Oh, Lord, as every hand is lifted, I thank you, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you are the center. That's what Paul was saying. It's about Jesus. It's not about you, Rhonda Davis. Stop making it so about you and being so sensitive, Rhonda. Rhonda, it's about Jesus. Help people in your job. Help people in your world. Lord, every hand that's lifted, you saved us to take hold of something. It may be education. It may be to be influenced in a home as a teacher. It may be the factory. You took hold of us to take hold of something. A lot of us, Lord, we haven't even seen our full potential. None of us have. Oh, Lord, for greater is ahead of each one of us. But God, we got to forget what's behind us. We've got to count all things as rubbish, even great things you did. Lord, we give you glory, but God, let us put a graveyard marker up there and believe you for what new you can do today. Jesus, and be open to it, not have all the reasons why you can't. Every hand that's lifted is a son and daughter of Most High God. And Lord, I just pray this word would stick to their bones like chili on a cold night in winter. I pray this word would get into the depths of their soul, Lord, dividing the marrow from the bone. I pray it would wake them up in the night, Lord, that they would press on, keep climbing, keep believing, keep dreaming. Lord, as hands are up, I pray, Father, we would all begin to dream for some positive and beautiful things to happen in our life, God. We wouldn't find ourselves always just asking you for things we're up against the wall, but asking you for things when we're not up against the wall. Asking for just beautiful things to happen, good things. Lord, some of us just need a little win. God, the other night I just need a little win. Oh, but Daddy, you knew that. You hid that check because I'd have spit it on a bill or something, Lord. Uh, God, sometimes we just need a little win. I pray for some wins in this room, Father, as hands are lifted. I just pray for some successes. I pray for some breakthroughs. I just pray for some good and mighty things to happen, God, to encourage their faith. Lord, you have taken hold of us, but God, don't let us sit in the gravel like whiny, pitiful Rhonda Davis. Make it all about us, but let us stand up and say, I'm climbing this mountain. It's not about me. I'm not going to make it about me, but I'm going to lay hold of what Jesus wants to do in my life today. What he wants to do today is not what he did yesterday.